Blog Talk Radio. This is Franchise Today, brought to you by FRM Solutions, providers of the best-in-class software solutions for franchise relationship management. Franchise Today is your destination for weekly information, conversations, and interviews with accomplished industry leaders, all of whom share best practices for sustainable growth and sensible franchising. Here now, your host, Stan Friedman, to kick off this week's podcast with the Solink part of the house. And this is Franchise Today on Wednesday, June 12th. 2019. I'm Stan Friedman, and I'm coming to you from home base in Marietta, Georgia, just a few miles northwest of Atlanta. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined today by entrepreneur, author, media guru, and PR pro, Nick Powell, founder and CEO of the No Limit Agency, and the online candidate-targeted content marketing platform, 1851 Franchise, where his team conceives, creates, and executes custom content and marketing strategies to attract the right prospects for their client brands. But first, it's time for the front of the house, which today I sadly dedicate to the memory of Rupert Barkoff, franchise lawyer, educator, fellow Southeast Franchise Forum board member, and friend. We lost Rupert just a week ago after he succumbed to complications that followed back surgery last March. Rupert passed peacefully last Wednesday here in Atlanta. He was born in 1958 in New Orleans, and Rupert was a proud alumnus of the University of Michigan Ann Arbor and the University of Michigan Law School. As such, he was a big fan of Michigan football, and whenever he could, he would joyfully attend games with his kids and grandchildren. Rupert, survived by his wife Susan and two sisters, uh, Bonnie Meyerson and Susan Kobayashi, three children and their spouses, Stuart and Allison and Jeffrey and Marla Barkoff and Lisa and Tyler Wright. And, of course, many grandchildren, nephews, and nieces who affectionately called Rupert umps. Rupert was one of a kind in so many ways, which includes spending his entire career in franchise law with a single firm, Kilpatrick Townsend, which was originally Kilpatrick Stockton, or Cody. And he joined the firm in 1973 after moving to Atlanta following law school. Rupert was a pioneer in franchise law, demonstrating expertise in franchisor and franchisee practices, both nationally and globally, making frequent trips to Australia to to support new concept development there. And that's how he became so close with another of my much admired franchise friends, Greg Nathan. In fact, it was none other than Rupert who actually introduced Greg to the U.S. franchising community at an event right here in Atlanta that led in part to Greg Nathan's Franchise Relationship Institute becoming the global icon it, too, has become. Rupert Barkoff was a kind, gentle, intelligent, and tireless professional with a sense of humor to match. These traits were known to any and all of us who knew him in the franchising or legal workplace or personally as well. Rupert played key roles in the lives of many of us in the Atlanta franchise community, and he will be sorely missed by us all. Rest in peace, my friend. Our loss is heaven's gain. And that's the front of the house. The front of the house, the front of the house is brought to you today by Solink a company that provides amazing loss prevention technology for restaurants and retail. In fact, 
I describe what Solink does for loss prevention as the equivalent of what Apple and Android have done for cell phones. They've made these tools smarter. Whether you operate a single unit or a multi-unit empire, or if you're the franchisor or an executive with unit-level economics on your mind, you need to learn more about Solink. Once deployed, Solink's technology captures instances of exceptional behavior at all of your sites. Solink then records everything that goes on in the front and the back of the house, and utilizing its amazing technology, it creates reports that direct your attention to the very specific video clips it's captured, eliminating the need for you to review hours of tape to identify these situations. And what's best is that Solink does it all with existing point of sale and security equipment. That's right. There's no new hardware needed to put Solink to work for you. As always, find out more about them online at solink.com. That's www.solink.com. And with that, it's time to say good day to today's guest, Nick Pals. When No Limit Agency was created in March of 2008, Nick Pals saw an opportunity within the agency world to better deliver relationships, strategy, service, and results while consistently accomplishing and exceeding client expectations. Fast forward the tape to 10 plus years later and No Limit has earned national recognition by maintaining a high level of professionalism in the eyes of its clients, the media, the industry, and the public. Today it calls Chicago home and its offices are in the historic Prudential Building, uh, where they serve as home, where it serves as home base to more than 35 professionals, creating and telling stories, and delivering measurable results for more than 80 brands that they serve. Nick, welcome, my friend, to Franchise Today. Glad to uh, glad to be on your show, Stan. Well, it's overdue, Nick. Long overdue. It's about time, and I'm happy to have you here. And I'm going to ask you to do what we ask each week's guests to do at the beginning of the interview, and that's to rewind the tape for us once again, as franchising is not intentional. It kind of finds us. We don't find it. So tell us how that happened for you, Nick, and when that was and what you were doing that led up to that. Uh, I can certainly tell you that story, and I will. Uh, I think you're probably a part of that story, too, <laughs> uh, which which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, so wanted to be a journalist, uh, started in sports, uh, had a great run there as, as a young writer, uh, transitioned into music journalism, uh, interned at Rolling Stone at Details, uh, and thought that was going to be my path, uh, created a music magazine, uh, realized that there was no money in being uh, an owner of a music magazine or a journalist, and decided at that point I was going to go to the dark side, uh, landed on accident at an agency that happens to do franchise PR. I knew that was McDonald's. Um, that's about it. I showed up at my interview uh, with hoop earrings, a uh, leather jacket, and a red Mustang, um, somehow they hired me, uh, and kind of the rest turns into history. I, I fell in love with the fact that franchisees were investing their life savings into this this giant risk or or this vision or dream uh, to make a better lives for themselves. Um, and then very very quickly on, uh, early on, uh, I uh, ran into you, uh, 
one of, one of my first uh, first mentors in franchising. So uh, you are equally at fault uh, for keeping me uh, in franchising. Well, I can lay claim to that uh, many times in my life, and and actually, Nick, you know, I can't think of any that I'm not proud of. So that's all good, and thank you for acknowledging that. So I remember uh, when you started, I'm not sure if you started in Chicago and then came to Atlanta or if it was all born right here. Uh, clear that up for me. So, to, I mean, I was Chicago-based, uh, made the decision to uh, move to Atlanta uh, for a few reasons. Uh, some of the backing, you, you were there, uh, that made a difference. Um, and how many franchise brands were Atlanta-based, that, that made a big difference. Uh, I felt that if I was going to do this right, um, I needed to position myself as different than the other agencies that existed in, in the franchising world. Um, so broke up with a girlfriend, quit my job, moved to Atlanta uh, within a two-month span. Um, yeah, and, and really, really started it in a tiny closet uh, office uh, in Marietta and then later in Decatur, Georgia, uh, in, a, in a beautiful office overlooking uh, a strip club uh, in, in a safe part of town. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember Marietta, though. I don't think that I'd ever seen that office. If I had, I don't remember it. Uh, there, there was uh, some franchise consultants that occupied uh, that space alongside me. Got it. Yeah, I had yeah. no memory of that at all. Yep. So, so what was it that you know? As we, every week we we have got conversations with franchisors that are sometimes in what seems to be crowded space. Um, you know, we talk to franchise executives that are in the home services for elder care, and we talk to people that are in desserts and ice cream. And, you know, from a consumer's or a layperson's point of view, some of those market segments seem really crowded, and you always wonder when someone's in that space what it was they saw in their mind's eye that said, nope, there's a, there's a niche here, there's a lane that I see available that isn't being traveled. What was that for you, Nick? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 a great question. Uh there there were several things that led up to the to the moment that I decided uh timing was right. Uh one, I had I had two business concepts that I was trying to push forward um at my last business. One was uh something that would end up turning into uh 1851 or evolving into 1851. Uh the direction came from the the fact that at at that point in 2007 uh, the value of the franchise portals was on a significant decline. Uh, it, it stabilized to what it is today, but at that point, franchise sales folks could put their legs up uh, on the desk and calls would just come in. That's where, that's how the prospects found the opportunities. Um, so it was working great, and then it was it was like a light switch. It stopped working. So I thought the gap that could be solved is what would it look like if content was married with a portal uh, because prospects would land on these portal sites and they they would have a one one time experience. So you find the brand that you want, you inquire, you're off that portal. There was no content to keep you engaged. And then the trade magazines at that point uh, had plenty of content, but had not evolved into an online universe. And and at, at, at that point in time, Entrepreneur Magazine was was also not giving much uh, dedication to the franchise space. There were one or two or three stories in each issue. So so I saw a gap there. Um, it didn't align uh, with the company that I worked with, uh, so I put that in my back pocket. Um, and then the concept of social media, um, I saw a huge opportunity there. 
Um, so yeah. the, the, those two those two combinations uh, led me to saying, all right, I, I have two things that I feel are different than what a traditional PR firm would do. Um, let's go ahead and make the jump. When I did, and, and obviously you were you were one of our uh, early clients uh, with RetroTax. Um, even some of the stuff that I look back of what you and I were doing, where uh, I would send you some questions, you would you would give me your responses. We would turn it into a blog post, um, and and really at that point, it, it it was it was future or forward thinking, in that wow. we were trying to create content for the prospect uh, that they could go they could find what was in Stan's head, so that when they were doing their due diligence, they could feel comfortable with the decision. Um, so some of the stuff that we were doing very early on was different than just PR, but at, at the end of the day, all we were trying to say is, let's try to connect the silos, let's extend the life of, of a, a media, a traditional media hit, um, and that's the gap. Uh, so it was a combination of those things. You know, I completely forgot about the blogging. You just gave me a, a chill of of memory, and that really was early days, wasn't it? I mean, social has changed so much since even then but as i remember you had me doing a blog post a week and one week it was about the concept retro tax something to do with tax credits the next week it would be something to do with franchising third week it would be something personal that was important to me and it was whatever mattered it could be chicken wings it wouldn't make a bit of difference it was something personal and i think the fourth week i would try and try to find a high profile member of the franchise community to blog as a guest blogger on my blog posts. And that way, with the hopes, I suppose, that they would be pushing out that blog post virally as well and attracting lots of new eyes to what would otherwise not have been seen by others. Is that kind of recapping it properly? Yeah, I mean, we were we were end up we were controlling the story. Uh, we were point, creating a piece of content that could be marketed. So it was content marketing before it existed. Uh, we were doing influencer marketing. That's why we were having the guest posts. Uh, we were right. trying to get others to influence the brand. So it's interesting to look back at that time because all of those categories were yet to be defined. So that was that was great. That uh, from an innovation standpoint, some of the stuff that you and I were doing together was quite innovative. The, the negative to that, uh, and, you know, I, I wish I would have known then what I know now, uh, had I understood what raising capital meant, uh, some of the concepts that were, that were spot on early on uh, could have taken off much faster then. Um, but still, all of that's a part of the business today. So it was, it, there, there's still value in each of those stories. So then 1851 was part of the blueprint, if you will, from day one, was it? Or did, did that become something you conceived of in in the progress of, of No Limit, which, again, No Limit 2 had a, a bit of a change because you started that as No Limit Media Agency and then altered the name and the positioning a little bit. Talk about that. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, No Limit Media Consulting. The concept there was that there was, there was another gap in the relationship with the journalist in that most PR firms would call and say, hey, have you read my press release? And the journalists would get frustrated by that because they would get hundreds of emails a day about press releases. Uh, so our vision was, can we be the consultant to the media and then the consultant to our client of how to get into the media? Um, so it was a good positioning. Uh, 1851 was a part of the initial uh, planning uh, for the business. But what's, what's, what's fascinating, in, in the time, yes, they, they were in the business plan, but the, the value of it was not totally recognized. That's why we converted to No Limit Agency. Uh, smart that at some point agencies separated out marketing, digital, social, P 
PR as separate categories. But at the end of the day, it's all PR. It's all it's all all it is is public awareness. Whether your public is internal or, or external, all of this is PR. Um, so at the time, yeah, it was it was a part of the plan. But clear understanding of why was it in the plan was probably yet to be defined. That we had to go through a lot of lessons learned to land in a point of differentiation uh, in a in a very small uh, industry. Nick, for the sake of the audience, there's so many moving parts in your business between the agency side, the 1851 side, the PR side for consumer as well as PR for B2B attracting franchises. Peel it back a little bit for us and help us get our heads around what, what that looks like and how it all comes together and works. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that question. I, I, I will say, uh, admittedly, it's a, it's a work in progress. Uh, we're going to go through a big transition uh, at the middle point of this year, which is coming up, um, where we're going to better create more clarity around who we are and what we do because there there is some chaos uh to the model that we're creating we're in, in at the end of the day we're asking we're asking our clients to to get on the airplane and not ask what every button does to go take your seats feel comfortable uh let us take off let us land the plane correctly um and that that's challenging especially to a world of sales folks that want to know the details behind how are things working so we got to do a better job um, at explaining that. However, at the end of the day, it's really successful campaigning. Uh, what is the headline? How do we get that into PR, marketing, advertising, social, and digital? Um, I'm, I'm going to go away from franchising for the easiest way that I can, I can explain what we're trying to get to uh, with our brands. If you open up any magazine, uh, say Fast Company, it's probably going to be a la- an ad for Lexus, uh, it's going to say drive my car fast. The person's going to be blurred out. Uh, the URL is not going to be unique. It's just going to say Lexus.com. Um, so it, it doesn't really connect the silos and it doesn't humanize a brand. Our feeling and our positioning as a business is to say, what would it look like if we did a contest on social to find a customer to be in that car so they're not blurred out? Uh, what if the message actually revolved around what what did what was the challenge we solved for that customer? Is it that we got a we made a soccer mom feel safe when she was rushing around in her hectic life uh, within this Lexus car? Um, so now we have a safety message and something that's specific to that human. Um, we have a unique URL. Uh, that continues the ad, so the story continues past that $150,000 uh, the brand just spent on that ad. Um, so when you go online, uh, that story continues. We put digital advertising against that ad on, online uh, to drive more of the right persona in the right markets uh, to pay attention to that ad. We market it in store uh, that we're using real customers in our advertising, and then we do PR around it. So. Our feeling is that, again, every, if everything is PR, then our job as a business is to distribute stories through campaigns um, the right way. So 1851 is really, was, was really created to say, all this content exists. Now let's really own the term that nobody seems to be paying attention to, and that's, that's marketing. Everybody's focused on content, blogging, uh, podcasts. Uh, books, whatever it is, they're all focused on content, but then they don't do anything with it. So if we can create the vehicle that connects the silos and then actually leverages the word marketing, 
then we have a point of differentiation that nobody's paying attention to. That's the combination of the two businesses that exist right now. Um, but there's, there's other extensions. We have another uh, magazine called the State Envy, which is non-franchise. It's focused everything on the home. Um, and we have four more publications that are launching uh, this year. Uh, ultimately, the, the big shift is going to be us going from a content storytelling business to a technology business front and center that's that's really trying to disrupt what the definition of content marketing is so this is a fast-paced world that we're in and i mean if we go back to when i was doing the blogging that you were instructing for me that's got to be about um, 10 years ago yep and I, I'm, I'm thinking that probably in the last 10 months there have been more changes in social and in content and in platforms and and all the things that are digital than there may have been in the nine years preceding. Um, so it's a fast-paced uh, space that you're traveling in. And I'm certain that it's difficult sometimes to the point you made to help a client understand that they can just sit in the back and trust that the pilot's going to fly the plane. But at the same time, I, I've read up on some of the things that you do about the content that you create with the intention of repurposing it so that it doesn't really, it, it scales, I guess is what I'm saying. It's not like you have to create content for six or eight or ten different things. Um, you can create the content and apply it appropriately across many different platforms. Am I anywhere close to right on that? Yeah, you're, you're completely correct. And, and here's, here's still the gap. Uh, no matter how much changes with technology, the terms are still fundamental. So social media, content marketing, bo- both of those terms the gap with social media is that everybody's media. The gap with content marketing is that everybody's content, which that, that's virtually the same thing, content or media. So it's very easy for brands to say, let's create a content schedule. Let's post about eating my burger. Well, eating your burger is not social content. You're not engaging your audience. You're not asking their opinions. You're not having a conversation with them. And then that content that just sits on Facebook in a world technology shifts of zero reach, that content just sits there. Nobody engages. You paid money for it, and then you don't do anything with it. So the marketing piece is missing as well. So social marketing is really the direction where things go from a fundamental standpoint, yet everybody is focused on oh, – here, here's squirrel over there or the shiny thing over there from a technology standpoint. But if you, if you don't pay attention to the fundamentals of those two terms, social and marketing, then you miss the opportunity to do whatever this shiny thing is telling you it can do. But unfortunately, in the franchise world, uh, salespeople are like, hey, if you do this with SEO, you're going to sell more franchises. It's all BS. Um, but because we have so much pressure from the top saying, go sell more franchises, not develop a brand, uh, I get it. It's, it's why we're chasing around and why we're trying to figure this out. But, yeah, you're, you're completely right. A singular piece of content with the right fundamentals distributed in the right way is the, most, is, is the best practice uh, to getting a, a story out there in the most effective way. So back in the day, you know, when I was still playing around with media before I got into franchising, and even in the earlier days for me in franchising, I mean, advertising has just moved so so differently. It used to be an easy thing for me to go sell a campaign on my radio station to an advertiser, and and you know, we had ratings books, we had Arbitron, and we would we'd be able to, in some cases, have to guarantee a number of listeners, and if they spent X number of dollars and we didn't deliver, we'd have to give them bonus spots but measurement was so much different measurement was so much easier when you had a nielsen or an arbitron today's consumer to me 
it seems to be as attention deficit as, as ever before. So you've got somebody who you try to reach in any number of places and you've got opportunities to grab them for a minute or two here or a minute or two there. But the information on demand that we've turned into as a, as a society, um, how in the world do you manage that? And how do you report on that? How do you deliver uh, quantifiable results so a client says, yeah, this is working? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a great statement, but I would I would say this. Uh, the reality is I don't know that much has changed in the form of advertising because you think about what you were doing uh, as a radio host. You were an influencer. Uh, here's your audience. You're going to talk about that, that item. Uh, you're going to get paid for it. Uh, wh- whatever station it was or influencer that was delivering it, the influencer was, the in, in that scenario, a radio host. Still done today. Uh, there are people that pay thousands of dollars for an influencer to write about them without direct measurement. The other gap that exists right now is that people are so set on if I spend A, then I get B. And the reality is the candidate journey, whether you're buying a franchise or you're buying French fries, it, it, it's chaotic. Uh, it is A plus X minus H plus M divided by N. So, so the, the equation for us as individuals is individualized to us, yet businesses want to say, you spend A, you get B. This is why Google ads, even though they don't produce all the time, they charge people money, and brands pay money. I pay per click. Yeah, but then, then you're saying, well, what's the cost of conversion, and you're, you're getting too complex? I think the, the way that the future is going to move because one, the, the news feed on LinkedIn or Facebook or Instagram uh, is getting smarter. The smarter that gets, what it's going to end up giving us back is an insight. It's going to say, Stan, when you open the newspaper, you don't read the news section. First, you read sports. Therefore, we're going to deliver sports. And when you go to sports, you're interested in baseball scores. We're going to give you baseball scores. And you want the Atlanta Braves or the New York Yankees. We're going to give you those. So it's going to customize the experience for the individual so the individual remains in charge. And they they start dictating how they want to behave. And then the second thing, and it's already starting to come into play, is tracking that let's track the data on that person for a year because franchisors want to say I spent X I get I get Y the reality is that candidate is going to go look at your restaurant they're going to try your food they might talk with franchisees they might look online so you spent X and you're going to come back and say I did not get Y this failed when in reality that ghost prospect is out in the world incognito doing their homework on your brand so the complexities are 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 more exposed today but the fundamentals of I'm on radio, I say this is awesome, it's influencer marketing. Nothing has changed. It's just the complexities of more information and then people being challenged to say, stop trying to simplify this. It's complex for the individual. Uh, is more, uh, it, it's more in the narrative today. I remember maybe 10 years ago, Nick, it could even be longer than that, that companies like one that I can pull the name out of was Claritus that used to do uh, psychographic information. So if you, you know, if you found somebody that, that uh, was attracted to your brand, you could figure out what else did they do that you could hit them again with, or you could find them in other places. Do companies like that still exist? Yeah, of course. But, but again, the data is complex. Everybody, I, I get it. Every, every business wants to simplify it so that you know how much you have to budget to get a deal. Um, right. wh- whatever it is, gum or, or a franchise, uh, but yeah, because 
now, now that the new buzz term, and I'm glad it's a buzz term, is persona marketing. Let's identify the persona of our buyers and try to influence them in the places that they live and, and breathe. Okay, the, great. That's been around forever. The, the example you just gave is an example of persona marketing. You're understanding who your persona is, and then you're delivering messages in the place that's going to impact them the most. But at the end of the day, the buyer is very sophisticated. Uh, no matter what they're buying, they are going to come to their own decision. You can certainly influence them, but you cannot force the purchase. At the end of the day, buyers care more about themselves than they care about any brand. And when brands understand that, that it's not about you, it's about the customer, then then that automatically shifts the way that those messages or that intel or the insights are delivered uh, back to the, the target that you're trying to get. This is all very fascinating, and I appreciate the fact that you're breaking it down to the point where I, I think I might actually even understand it, which is, <laughs> which is even more exciting. Um, when we come back from our break, we're going to talk more about how all this, um, how you can help all of this make sense too for franchisors who are trying to uh, level the playing field and figure out how best to make the most sense out of their marketing, whether it's consumer or for. Uh, for new franchisees. But first, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back after a word from our newest sponsor. This portion of Franchise Today is brought to you by Zoracle, providers of spot-on profiles, the gold standard of assessment tools that assure you're selecting the right franchisees every time. Unlike DISC or others that simply gauge personality or communication styles, Zoracle's spot-on assessments are all franchise-specific and based upon seven sciences that nail the results each and every time. Your prospects simply answer a few questions online, and like magic, Zoracle's algorithms scientifically slice, dice, and analyze their thresholds for risk, their business acumen, and even their propensity for single or multi-unit ownership. Zoracle's spot-on analysis is like having a crystal ball. But there's no hoodoo here. It's all based upon science that flawlessly determines franchisee, franchisor compatibility, and accurately predicts performance. Why don't you schedule a demo today and take a complimentary look and see for yourself. It's the closest thing to a sure thing. Zoracle, spot on assessments, based on science, but delivering results that seem simply magical. Check them out at www.zoracleprofiles.com. Franchise Today is produced and presented each week by FRM Solutions, providing best-in-class CRM and document management software designed specifically for franchising. FRM enables real-time business intelligence, communication, and collaboration between all members of the franchisor's team and their prospective and existing franchisees. This empowers your team to simply and seamlessly track, access, and manage all communication to and from prospective and existing franchisees, including texts. Legal and compliance is simplified too with FRM's document management, and even site visits can be digitally facilitated and scored using FRM. Make today the day you give FRM a look and assure that all of your candidate and franchisee correspondence, including texts, are being permanently tracked and archived in candidate and franchisee records. FRM even provides state-of-the-art digital experiences for your prospective franchisees 
replacing old-style virtual brochures. There are no long-term contracts required. Multiple upgrades are offered each year at no additional cost. No excuses, just solutions on the web at frmsolutions.com. And I want to thank my good buddy Ryan Hicks backstage uh, pushing the buttons today, Eric. You know, we've got a little bit of new technology that we're playing with, and, and some of the buttons are getting hit, whether they're, whether they're available for you to realize on time or not as a listener. Apologies for that, but we'll, uh, we'll get better every day as well. Hey, Nick, I want to take the conversation into the paradigm of let's pretend I'm a franchisor and to the point you made, you know, there's been all these different things in vehicles and I've tried this and I've done that. Um, what percentage, first of all, of, of the business that you're looking to accommodate is, is on the B2B versus B2C side. So if I'm a Zora, you're going to be coming at me first and foremost to talk to me about franchise development or about the consumer side of my business or both. Um, okay. So here, here is the truth. I, we, we do these franchise assessments as a, as a part of our, puzzle piece, uh, meaning we come in and we evaluate the brand, we come up with the why you, why now, uh, really dictate out or strategize how are we going to go and accomplish whatever goals are set. And most of the time, uh, there is a point of contention uh, where, because this, this is on the B2B side, where I say, all right, let's talk about the consumer message. Um, and an executive will say, well, wait, wait, wait a second, no, 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 we're, we're focused on the B2B side. I'll say, all right, well, you would buy something that you would buy a business that the, where the brand doesn't understand who their consumer is? Well, no. And, and it, it creates this pause moment where Ooh. I'm able to talk about the reality is it's one and the same. If you don't know how to market to your customer, you're never going to get franchisees because if you can't show me that you're confident and you have a blueprint in play on the consumer side – you will fail as a franchisor. So it, it, brings, up, it, bring, it brings me into this discussion of saying, uh, I feel it's, it's not different, um, but, major, but the truth is majority of brands say, let's see what your B2B uh, positioning is. And then we get in there and we, we start uh, pushing some buttons and uh, eventually we take over the consumer side too because – uh, without that working hand in hand, uh, it doesn't work. I was at um, I was at Qdoba years ago. Uh, they're an old client of ours, uh, and I'm like, man, there's so much opportunity to educate the buyer that you're a franchise within your four walls. And marketing goes, we will never put franchise information on our cups or on our napkins or on our walls. And I said, that that's funny because if franchising goes away, so does your job. So it, I've always found it fascinating that the two departments argue. Um, when it should be one and the same, um, and I think the best franchisors are the ones that have a unified leadership team uh, that share that have a shared vision uh, and implement it across both. Um, but the the percentages again, to answer your question, it's majority bring us in to solve their B two B issues and then quickly realize that it's it's bigger than B two B. It's it's both. You know, you aptly remind me of a, of a byline that I did many years ago for franchising today. And or for franchising world, and it was um, it was basically the same thing. It was looking at companies as franchisors that had problems with franchise uh, operations. You could peel the onion back all the way to franchise development as the source of the problem. You either brought the wrong person in, or you didn't go after the right person, and you didn't know your own brand well enough to know who that right person would or should or could be. 
And so unit-level economics are really the key to it all. And if they're not there, I don't care what your marketing looks like, right? If you don't have happy campers <laughs> that are making money and, and, and will want to stay here and do it for more and open more stores along the way, um, I don't think that any amount of marketing can support sustainability if the brand's not up to the task. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, listen to what you just said. You just touched on operations, on satisfaction, yep. on sales. And the reality is, I, I get it. Everybody wants to find the simplistic way in franchise development. Um, but it, but it's not. Shame on CEOs who say, when, when you say, how many, how many deals do you want this year? 40. How many did you do last year? 20. What's the most you've done in a year? 25. Okay, so how are we going to get to 40? You're, you're tripling the budget? Oh, no, less budget. It's like... <laughs> Okay, there's issues there, and then you say, "How's validation?" They're like, eh, I mean, some, some. It's typical. Thirty percent say they wouldn't have done it. Uh, okay, but that's still thirty percent that could say, "Hey, franchisee X, don't do it." Oh, how's operations doing? And then you start breaking it down, and then you get to unit level economics. You're like, "Are franchisees making money?" It's no. So it's like, how are you going to grow this brand? So it try they they all everybody tries to oversimplify it. The reality is if franchisees aren't making money, if the vision isn't clear, if validation sucks, if ROI, cost to get in and how much I can make, is not aligned with the buyer profile that you're going after, your issues are not franchise sales. It's not the sales guy's fault. It's much bigger than that. It's your brand problem. So you're basically delivering tough love. You almost have to host a boot camp to, to get alignment in terms of proper thinking long before you can even make sense out of the rest of what it is you're going to do. It sounds yeah. that way anyway. Yeah, I take a sigh when you when you say that because I, I think that's what frustrates me most about the franchise industry. One, there's there's no there's nobody saying let's 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 create a, a set of rules or expectations. Let's let's create a certification of what is a good brand and what's not. Um, let's certify the suppliers. There's plenty of suppliers that come out there and say, Yeah, we'll grow your brand. We're gonna get you thousands of leads. No, you're not. I mean, if you if you can't make money, franchisees are pissed. Uh, leadership doesn't have a clear defined vision. Uh, you can't open in the market that you want. No, you you cannot. That's irresponsible for us to one say this is a valuable franchise opportunity, and two, uh, for for us to to come out there and say we can we can solve your problem without diving deeper. So yeah, if if you're unwilling to really dive into your business. Your franchise sales, are, it is what it is. Whatever you sold last year is probably what you're going to do this year. It doesn't change. You cannot put lipstick on a pig. What can you offer to an emerging brand that's out there now that may be, you know, way down the pike, you know, front end, almost maybe five, first five or so franchises have been awarded to uh, loyal consumers of the brand or friends and family, that kind of thing. And now we're really getting into the space where we're starting to look for uh, – those five or so that are on board are now delivering great results. I've got to go find new prospects and I've got to get them in front of the story and learn about the brand that emerging Zorin, Nick, can he afford what it is that you do and what you offer? Or is this out of reach for somebody that's too early stage? So he can't, he cannot afford not to, but it's not just us. I mean, some, no, no, say, that again. He can't, he, say that again. He, he can't, can't afford, afford not, not to, to. M- meaning okay. if you, there, shame on franchise consultants that franchise businesses that are not properly capitalized. Um, shame on franchise consultants that make franchisors think you you become a franchise and you you start to sell. 
none of that is is true. Uh, you interviewed Kevin Wilson. I would say Kevin Wilson is one of the smartest people I've ever seen in franchising because he wasn't in franchising, meaning he applied traditional best-in-class practices to building a franchise brand and what he did with Mosquito Joe. Out of the gates, he invested in the leadership team and the infrastructure so that every franchisee that came on board had a shot at succeeding because these guys, any, any franchisee that buys, doesn't understand HR, doesn't understand operations, doesn't understand right. that business. So they, they, are, they are rookies, but we treat them like they're veterans because they accomplished X in business, but I promise you they're lost. So Kevin put in the infrastructure. He made sure that the franchise fee aligned with where their business was so he wasn't charging a $40,000 franchise fee on day one because he had to pay the brokers. He did it the right way. He built scale. He invested in those franchisees. He made them profitable. Those franchisees got him more franchisees. That's the easiest thing to sell. So all this is to say, yeah, there, there are solutions that we provide as a business. They will be irrelevant if you don't have a good business model. And if you don't come into your business overcapitalized and understand that that franchise fee is not money to go in your pocket. That franchise fee is meant to make your franchisees successful, get them open, trained, and ready to go, and then continuously motivate them and move them to do great things for your business, then nothing we do even matters. So we will not be a fit for that emerging brand, but you cannot afford not to. And that's where the responsibility of either this industry or the franchise consultants or companies like mine have to be able to look, look someone in the face and say, yeah, it's, it's going to be tough. And here's why. So emerging zero to 10 or 15, too small, 15 to maybe 50, um, before they have to remediate too many things, are you able to capture somebody at that level and be able to help turn a corner for them before they actually go down the wrong track and go too far? Yeah, yeah, and it's it's not a one size fits all. Like we we started working with a company called Gym Guys. Uh, they had one unit. It was a guy in a truck. Um, the X factor there was you had a founder that was really willing to hustle and do whatever it took to win, and knew that he was not going to make money uh, on units one through a hundred. He was ready to reinvest and reinvest and reinvest. Um, so it's not a one size fits all. But at the point where a brand has the right growth mentality, realistic. Um, and is investing in the right in the right triggers, has set up the right models, has a product that resonates with an audience, knows their why and why now. It, it doesn't matter the size. Um, it, it matters. The, the mindset is so much more valuable uh, than the size to us. So we, we still have brands that have one unit, um, but they're like, yeah, I, I know I'm not going to make money. I might make a little bit of money off of a corporate location, but I'm not going to make money now. So let me keep throwing as much into this machine as possible knowing that the, at the end of this rainbow, there is a pot of gold when I exit, if I do it the right way. So just for full disclosure, you're talking about Josh York, yeah. uh, founder yeah. founder of Gym Guys, who, Josh, if, if you're listening, and I know you do, yes, you still have the highest level of energy of any guest that has ever appeared <laughs> on Franchise Today. The record is still yours. Passion's come close. Passion has come close to catching you, Josh, but high energy – you still got the title. So, Nick, one or two or three nuggets that you can share with anyone, whether they are mom and pop just coming out the door, whether they're emerging on their way to a milestone like 50, or if they're in legacy and been here forever, what are two or three things that can affect change in the lives of those franchisors right now? Franchisees sell franchises. 
make sure you're invested in the profitability uh, and the unit volumes uh, of your franchise owner. That is your responsibility uh, in, in investing there. That that is that is absolutely uh, nugget one. And no, nugget two is uh, even if you're struggling, you can turn it around by understanding the way that the buyers behave with your business. It's likely they believe in the product, they believe in the vision. Uh, the cost to get in and how much I can make is aligned with their expectations. They can open in the market that they want to open and franchisees validate. That seems to be the same reason someone ends up pulling a trigger. So if you start evaluating your brand in those five categories, then then you can turn around any, anything that is stalled or paused or you feel stuck, do an internal evaluation and you can you can find a lot of wins uh, within those those categories um, that will eventually get you in the right way. So just because you get stuck, it doesn't mean it's over. All right. So I'm a franchisor who has taken everything you've just shared on board, and I think I've got my internal house in order. A few weeks ago, um, I had Ryan Hicks and David Chapman on talking about the landscape and how it's changed between old world versus today's current marketing. So I've got some money. I'm a franchisor who's got some money to spend. I've got a house that I'm proud of. I've got franchisees that are relatively happy, doing well, and coming back asking for more territory. And now I'm going to try to spend some more money to do some combination of things that may include old traditional, you know, direct mail or radio, um, or do some things more progressive. How does that menu look? And how much should I be thinking about putting into which category to capture that person who's got 10 seconds of attention here, there, and everywhere 100 times a day being assaulted by messages that are coming from everywhere? Yeah, so a few points there. One is uh, industry uses numbers somewhere between eight and $12,000 uh, that you need to budget per deal uh, for franchise marketing. Um, so budgeting at the top line, figuring how many units do you want uh, in the next year um, and putting a budget against that is, is important. But remember, that that's an average number. So that could be under a $100,000 investment up to a million dollars. I will say that some brands that we work with, it costs them $50,000 per deal in franchise marketing. But they also realize that the value in royalty could be millions uh, back to their system, especially if that franchisee is scaling. So having the right mindset from a budget standpoint is critical. Two, uh, your customer is the lowest hanging fruit. Um, there's a saying in, in marketing that 84% of deals uh, will come from referrals or one degree separated. That means if if you take that number to throw a giant budget number against that 16% seems like a waste. Make sure you're spending some money on your current customer base. That's pin drops in, in today's world of technology uh, on existing properties. Uh, that is educating your franchisees either passively or proactively that you're a franchise. Uh, passively could be done by just putting up uh, some sort of uh, story or placard uh, in the in the entryway to, to your restaurant or your business that talks about the owner of that location. Locally owned and operated is a term that McDonald's pushed very heavily that helped them grow. Uh, that's still valuable. Make sure your customer base understands that this is a is a franchise opportunity. Um, understand that the buyer is more sophisticated. They're spending more time away from your website doing homework. They go to your website. They expect you to say that you're great. So if you have a blog, that's what you're going to say. They want to see what you what is said about you outside of your four walls. Uh, that's why PR 
uh, works. That's why digital works. So make sure that you have a good footprint um, away from your website to track them down. Uh, Retargeting re is a great tool because you're paying for people that have actually come to your site. I wouldn't just put that on your site. I would put that on a page that is a little bit more buried so that you're only spending for those that are a little bit deeper in the research stage. I would be smart with your form. Uh, this is going to be the next wave, in my opinion, of technology. Uh, ask a question on there. Are you just looking or are you ready to buy? If you're just looking, give them the brochure. Give them the information so that they can decide when the timing's right. Don't be so so salesy because this is not a sales decision. This is you answering questions you're developing. Uh, and it, But if they say they're ready to buy, now ask them questions. Do you want to be texted? Do you want to set up a call? The buyer wants to be in control. The same way that you or I buy cars is the same way that they want to buy. It's not not an equal decision. It's a much, much bigger life decision, but it's an equal process that people don't want to be hammered by salespeople. Figure out a way to customize your experience to that buyer. Um, and then, and then look at other things. Ask your current franchisees what works. We did a we did a, a project with a client where we said literally it was just to ask all their franchisees where did you receive information, where did you absorb it, uh, and it was interesting because even though it had nothing to do with sports, it was hiking magazines, it was running magazines, it was Sports Illustrated. Well, at least that gave us the insight that people love sports away from this business. So if we're going to do a direct mail piece, if we're going to do a digital campaign, then we're putting a franchisee that's in enjoying what their life is outside of owning this business because you have to understand that lifestyle comes up a lot in these discussions. Uh, make sure that you're showing them what, what the lifestyle looks like away from this business because that's what you're fighting for, for legacy or for lifestyle. Um, so make that front and center. So all that to say is it's not going to be the same for any brand. Uh, it's going to be a mix, but when you can do a little bit of PR, a little bit of marketing, a little bit of social, a little bit of digital, a little bit of advertising, you set yourself up for the great, greatest shot at success, especially uh, if you humanize the brand. Uh, brands don't sell brands, people do. You just put a volume of content out there, and that's what I really see you doing more of on a weekly basis. I enjoy the, uh, the eight on Friday afternoon. Um, you've got several different formats and, and vehicles, and I'd be remiss if I didn't give you an opportunity to talk about your book too. So why don't you spend a minute talking about how you, you eat your own dog food, Nick, how you are doing the very things you're prescribing franchisors do themselves. Yeah, and, and I think the, the thing on top of it is I, I enjoy what I do. Um, so I think that, that's important. There, there's brands that, that struggle at creating content because they're not really passionate about it, and that comes across. Uh, it doesn't feel authentic. Um, but all the stuff that, that we do um, as a business, whether it's it's podcasts, we have Life Drive Success, um, which is which is our podcast where we're interviewing people, uh, trying to understand the, the human side. I, I, I had one yesterday, a comedian. He's on a show on, on Netflix, and he talked about depression. I had a baseball player talk about depression. I had a musician talk about depression. And the, the commonality among that that I'm fascinated with is everybody has this pain. Um, my book is built around this concept that foundation plus momentum equals velocity, meaning all of us have something deep inside us that at the time sucked and we saw as half empty, and later on we turn into fuel. Um, and when you can turn it into fuel and use it to motivate you, uh, you have a shot at getting to velocity where brick walls pop up every single day and you just, you, you just ignore it because you're on this pathway or this, you're on this complete pursuit of happiness. Um, so the book is a, is a mix of a life story um, and 
and, and that equation. Um, I'm sure it's collecting plenty of dust on, on bookshelves across the United States. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, it goes back to what I said at the beginning of the thing. I, I landed in franchising, but it doesn't never took away my passion for storytelling as a journalist. Uh, it's still in there, and I just have different vehicles um, that I'm able to tell stories with. Nick, we're coming close to the end here. I always ask at this juncture if there's anything that I didn't ask you yet that you wished I would have. This would be the time to share it. I don't know that there's anything that you didn't ask. I, I appreciate uh, our relationship. I appreciate how it goes full circle. I, I, I appreciate your opening. Uh, Rupert was a very important attorney uh, for our business uh, very early on uh, through some challenges that we went through. He, he protected us. And you, you obviously were deeply uh, valuable. You and I had way too many drinks uh, very early on. I had no friends in Atlanta uh, and it was nice to have someone uh, to to be friends with because uh, it, it it was lonely. It was it was a big decision. So um, I I appreciate how life ends up going full circle. Uh, I appreciate the shortness uh, of life. Um, I per I appreciate the the pursuit of happiness. Um, yeah, and I'm I'm glad I had the chance to do this with you. Well, I appreciate it too, and um, I look forward to the opportunity to catch up with you again very quickly and soon someplace down the franchise road. Before we let you go, you have to tell the audience how they can get in touch and find out more and who they should be contacting to do so. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I was talking to the, the interview that I did yesterday. happens to be my uh, neighbor growing up, and he disclosed to us that people across the street uh, that, that's where they lived. Uh, they had no idea what my family's last name was, even though my parents and them have lived across the street for 30 years. They thought it was Poe Willis. Uh, I guess that's close. It's Powell's, P-O-W-I-L-L-S. Uh, so I would be wrong not to say the right right saying of my last name. You can find me on LinkedIn, uh, 1851franchise.com. I have a column that comes out every Thursday. Um, or nolimitagency.com, you can you can find us on there. Uh, but if you search for me, you'll find the good, the bad, the, and the ugly. Uh, I promise you the, the bad is only part true. There you go. Well said, Nick. Appreciate you being with us. Appreciate the friendship as well. And nothing but the best to you, my friend, on the road forward. Thanks, man. Next week, I'm joined by another fellow franchising podcaster and professional, Kit Vinson. Kit is the host of the Franchise Manual podcast, Using this vehicle, Kit is creating a resource library for startup and emerging franchisors to help them as they travel down the road of franchising. His podcast has been downloaded by listeners across the USA, as well as 42 countries. I'm looking forward to that discussion right here next week. And until then, I'm Stan Friedman wishing you the best, the very best, of all things franchising. And Franchise Today is out. Franchise Today is a production of FRM Solutions, providing fast and class CRM tools to empower relationships with prospective and existing franchisees. No excuses, just solutions. Find them online at frmsolutions.com. Join Stan every Wednesday at noon Eastern for another live episode of Franchise Today. Or, as always, download episodes on demand at blogtalkradio.com or iTunes.